Welcome to the Ashanga Dispatch podcast. I'm your host, Megan Powell, along with Peg Mulqueen. It is our honor to welcome today's guest, Lara Land, onto the podcast. Lara told us that she recently moved with her family to the Catskills from New York City, seeking a slower pace of life. But as she tells us about all the projects she's working on right now, I can't even imagine what she's like at full speed. From writing a book, creating trainings for yoga teachers in trauma sensitivity, and not too long ago, as you might remember, Lara and Harmony Slater organized a COVID relief fundraiser for India. Lara's compassion and generosity for others knows no boundaries. In 2015, she founded Three and a Half Acres Yoga, a nonprofit providing yoga and mindfulness by partnering with community organizations serving people facing emotional, physical, or social trauma. But running a nonprofit is no easy task and requires the help of community, something I think us yoga practitioners know a bit about, which is why starting December 2nd and lasting for the entire month, teachers within the yoga community are leading classes online to help raise money to support Three and a Half Acres Yoga. Your donation gives you access to all classes taught by teachers such as Eddie Stern, Donna Noble, Nina Rao, and so many others. You can find out how to donate and attend these classes by visiting threeandahalfacres.org or by visiting the link in today's show notes. And now, it is with great enthusiasm and awe that we welcome Laura Land. As a counselor, I don't think that any of my training, none of my degrees, none of my training thoroughly prepares me to work with trauma. I think, I think you and I talked about this. I always get a little nervous when we say trauma-informed teaching because trauma is experienced so differently. And what could be traumatic to you might not be traumatic to me. And so it, it, it makes me a little nervous when we start using those terms. Can you put me at ease? <laughs> well, I think you know, part of what I teach is we're retraining ourselves in beginner mindset and that we don't know. We don't know what anyone has been through. And so the the training is more about, it's kind of like the unlearning because the yoga teacher trainings, when you, you're, you're like learning and you're learning to like stand in front of the class and tell people what to do. So most of the training I do is like unlearning and it's, it's about more about digging into oneself to understand what I come into the room with. Right. Um, so what are potential what, you know, what's going on in me, what's in my nervous system that I'm, uh, because we co-regulate, right? So I have to do my own practice, work on my own self, understand where my nervous system is at, be in the right place to serve others so that um, there's no feeling of like, I'm getting something from it, that I'm understanding that I'm in a shared um, learning space. And we come into the room with all the programming of all of our lifetime and in our ways of seeing the world. And so a lot of what we practice is just recognizing that we see the world through a very limited lens um, based on, you know, our experiences and that not everyone has experienced the world the way that we have or sees the world the way that we do. And so it's, it's a practice to, um, to get out of ourselves and to be in intense relationship with another and to attempt to see the world a bit from their experience, understand them and stand beside them and kind of look out with them at where they want to go, right? Instead of putting on onto them, like as a, as a teacher might without proper training, like where we think we should take them. Right. It's very easy to 
come in as yoga teachers and have an idea of like, oh, I'm going to fix that, right? I'm going to make that better. And then they're going to feel so much better. And even though that might come from a really good intention, that that might not be, the impact might not be right. You know, that might not be where that person wants to go. And sometimes respecting the individual is respecting the response to the trauma that they've had. And we don't know, you know, a lot of the folks that I teach when they leave yoga class, it's not like they go back to necessarily a safe environment where they, it's right for them to have their guards all down, you know? So just being like, I'm going to open you up like that, that could have a negative impact. You know, I respect the body's very genius um, reaction to trauma. It's the, the way the bodies protect us. is amazing. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. I like, mean, it's so intelligent. It's so intelligent. It really is. And it's, it's only up to an individual to say, okay, this, you know, this pattern isn't working for me anymore. I want to make a shift. But we have to first honor and recognize and thanks and give gratitude for the ways that the body can protect us and how we can survive. It's just super intelligent, just like you said. You really touched on something that Megan and I talk about all the time, and that is examining our response as teachers, being able to examine us. You know, like I think so much of what I hear on social media about trauma sensitive and trauma informed is about the student and the trauma and a lot of the triggering of the trauma comes from us as teachers. Like if we're aware of our stuff and if we're not, they call it shadow projecting, you know, not, or transferring our shit onto other people, even unconsciously, like you said, like it could be the best of intentions, right? I want to help people. So I am going to help you, but that makes me powerful and you helpless. And let me show you the way because I'm so smart. Exactly. Exactly. You know? I, I do. And, and, you know, folks who have been through trauma, they tend to have survived a lot. So they might have something to teach us about survival, right? It's like we have something to learn from, from all that, that they've survived. And uh, I really respect that. Talk to me about some of the children that you work with, because you work with what age groups? We work more with adults. Oh, you do? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, we work with uh, mainly adults, uh, young adults, um, up through older adults. So we partner with other nonprofits. So we tend to, we, we go in and like to, to nonprofits that have other groups going on. So um, like, for instance, with some of the, homeless youth, um, LGBTQ youth organizations that are out there in the city, they might be offering group counseling, job training, resume writing, healthy relationship, like they do tons of different groups. And they also offer just like community time. And so we just, we add yoga, uh, meditation and mindfulness to what they're already offering. So those, those, uh, those centers are already there and we just try to, you know, we come on in and we say, try yoga also. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, yoga and these practices work great in combination with other therapies, but they can do sometimes something that some other therapies don't like talk therapies because of the embodied experience and the breath and really moving stuff out. And that's, the feedback that that we get, I mean, we get some students that are just consistently coming because they say like, this is what works for them. This is what's helping them to move the trauma out of their bodies. Yeah, it's very, uh, it's rewarding to hear. I remember when I worked in a high school, the, the high school kids, it was like right when I was transitioning from my work as a counselor into yoga, right? It was like, I was kind of doing both at the same time. So, you know, I was taking some of these little things I was learning and testing them out on the kids, like the simplest stuff, right? Just sitting quietly 
I'm breathing. And we were doing alternate nostril breathing in particular, right? With the group of kids. And so they would come into my office before like SATs or a test. And they'd be like, do that breathing thing that you do with me so that I can go in there. And they would find that it would, it was helping them. And it just blew my mind that these just very simple techniques to teach them we didn't have to name it anything. We didn't have to, it was, they would just call it that breathing thing you do. And yeah. so we would do it and they would say, it would just really help them in tests or when they were feeling anxious or worried, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of feedback has been about like to that our students can't think. I know this one, one of, uh, one of my uh, students, he um he's in a in homeless shelters and he's expressed that there's no quiet time it's always loud it's always chaotic there's never a space to let down your guard you always have to be watching everywhere and that the yoga class is the one time that he can just quiet his brain and relax his mind and and he can like think that's like, he's like, this is when I can like think of what the next step I should take is and how to make, you know, the next right decision. And this is my own, can you imagine like, this is a kind of torture. I mean, to, to be in a constant, like alert sense like this and never, never have any, any place to just be quiet and just to think quietly and let, let, you know, some of the answers come. and. Um, well, it is a torture technique. That is, yeah. a I mean, to have that constant stimulus coming at you, that is torture. It really is. And we're not meant to be on like a high alert all the time. And um, I feel, you know, just really glad that we can offer some space for for folks just to even lay down and and have some quiet and um and reset even if it's just a short time once a week in teaching today what are some of the missteps that you see that and and because because we all carry trauma right wouldn't you say we all have experienced trauma to various degrees and we all carry some trauma. And that said, I've also been in classes that have been quite traumatizing. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Because I don't feel like this piece that you're talking about, about looking at ourselves as teachers and what we're bringing into the room, I don't feel like that is something we talk about enough or that gets focused upon enough in trainings. Yeah. Um, because just because something worked for us, you know, in a yoga experience or a class doesn't mean that it can work for someone else. And I think a lot of us, especially in Ashtanga, we're going off our own experience, which can teach us a lot. It's, it's great that we've had experience, but it doesn't mean that we can walk in someone else's shoes. So I think, you know, some really basic things, like I've seen people really harmed by having to be placed next to someone they weren't comfortable next to like you know again it's kind of like a stronger thing like, like we have this thing about our map placement and you know lines and this and that and it's like you can you know you can you can do so good and so bad just by some very small I, I like to speak to just some small basic things that you can do to make your class more trauma sensitive you don't have to be a trauma-informed teacher right but you can just know a couple things i've been trying to educate a little more like just some you know free education to just not cause harm so you know if someone comes in they need to be by a door maybe or they need to see an exit or maybe they're not comfortable being like right behind uh, or right next to um, just a certain person for whatever reason. Just let them put their mat wherever they feel comfortable because we're so glad that they're in the room, you know. Um, and then just like basic things around lighting, you know, in trauma sensitive class, we never just shut the lights off. At least if you're going to make a light change in the room, let people know or anticipate that. Also, you know, just simple thing like when folks are resting, um, you know, what we call um, sometimes shavasana, 
or final rest, not walking around the room, right? Like walking, standing over people who are very, you're in a very vulnerable position when you're laying there quite open. Um, it's best for the teacher just, you know, stay seated. Um, so those are just some, you know, some technical things. I think we can all do better with coming in and being more in relationship, being more in conversation with the student. How is it feeling? Something I really don't like in class is when the teacher tells you we're about to do hip openers. All uh, relationship things are stored there or like you're going to feel, you know, you're probably going to feel this. Or they say, you know, we're going to do this pose now. It's very relaxing. Things like that. And you hear that a lot in yoga class where the teacher puts the assumed feeling and it's usually like, it might be something they experience or it might be just something that they heard from another teacher. And it just gets like passed down and passed down that this pose is relaxing and this pose will do this. And this is how you let your relationship stuff go. And this is, you know, I find, I think that for me is really triggering and, you know, the whole, the really the whole point of um, tra- being trauma sensitive teacher is like opening up the space for the practitioner to experiment with how they feel in their body, right? Sometimes with trauma, there's disassociation. So there's a tendency not to really feel the boundaries of the body and we're awakening sensation again. And in a, you know, hopefully safe as possible environment, the practitioner gets a, a chance to feel what they feel in their body. You know, maybe something feels um, uncomfortable in, you know, in the palm of the hand or there's something in, you know, we don't know, right? But um, it's an exploration together. And if you allow for that exploration, I mean, there's the the practitioner can really um, find their power, their voice, their sense of agency, get to know what feels good and not good for their own body, um, get to decide how um, how much they want to be uncomfortable and how much they don't. And that's an uh, individual's decision, right? So not us as teachers to say, you could go deeper, you can go deeper. But what's so empowering is when we get to, to know for ourselves what our boundaries are, and that's actually healthy. And I think something that we have a tendency to do that's unhealthy as teachers and, and in our tradition is really think that more open is always better. Um, and we forget, you know, it's, it's a balance. So it always was supposed to be a balance, balancing the nervous system, like balancing the body strength and flexibility, right? Ease and strength, not, not all open and fluid and not rigid, but having that balance. And that's something that the individual can find when we get, get out of the way and just support them in their exploration. I think uh, something we can we can do better is not um, like giving a lot of individual compliments or complimenting what we think is like, (laughs) yeah, complimenting like, oh, you're like, this person's doing great because they did some fancy pose. Compliments can really hurt in the classroom. Oh, Laura, I'm so glad you said this because that people don't think so. They think they're giving positive reinforcement or that they're encouraging, but yeah. They can yeah. be, they're actually, it's a judge. It's still a judgment. It's still a coloring. It's coloring. And what happens to the relationship, right? The, where the dynamic as a teacher, you can never fully get rid of that. You're the teacher when you walk into that space, but we try to make it a shared learning experience in a trauma sensitive setting, but the, there's always something there that you're the teacher. And what you don't want is the student to try to please you because then they get out of learning what's right for them, right? The second they go into people pleasing. But when we give a compliment, of course, when we receive that compliment, we're like, oh, we did something right. I want to try to do it more instead of, you know, going back to what's feeling right in my body. And then, of course, the other people in the room try to replicate something that's not right for them. So it just it creates an unhealthy dynamic. So that's that's something we think we're helping. And this is why it's, you know, it's something I've had to learn and I'm constantly learning. You know, it's not always intention, but, um, you know, also we have to look at the impacts of 
even if we had a good intention, is it really making the right, the right impact? I remember when I, when I first started traveling and teaching, the podcast had already been out there and I have never really, I live in seclusion. I mean, I live in pretty much isolation. I don't see another human being. I go to these places and I'm like, wow, there's people. And I kind of get a little excited sometimes, but it, <laughs> um, I realized that when I went to new places, that it was good for me to just sit back and not actually have a big presence because I was already having a presence and that my words carried more weight maybe than I knew. I didn't see myself that way, but it didn't matter. They did. And so I would have to take a step back and I would have to be really conscious of that. It wasn't my natural way of being because like I said, I went from isolation to people and I'm just like, yay. But I learned to temper my own energy and to, you know, just allow things, allow people to get to know me in a different way. Does that make sense? Like being aware of our own energy and what we bring into the room, that it's not wrong, but that it it's okay to be different as a teacher, that we are the ones that can, <laughs> that can temper ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, a lot of us came to teaching and became successful teachers because we have dynamic personalities. I'm, I can very much relate to what you're saying. I, you know, I, I can have a lot of energy. I, I can really take up space in a room. Um, I, you know, I tend to feel confident speaking, you know, in public, which is a, a privilege that not everyone has. So it's my own work to um, step back, let other voices step forward, listen more. And it's not just for other people, it's because it's better for me to, I grow more as a person when I, you know, I know that. And it doesn't mean that I don't feel I have to just um, dim myself or, you know, that um, I have to, to change, but I'm allowing myself to experience different parts of myself and to grow and to be uncomfortable, which is really important to, um, to get out of my own comfort zone. So for me, that can be sometimes tempering my own energy. So I definitely relate to that quite a lot. Yeah. It's so interesting. I, I love this piece of it. And I love that you're working with teachers in exploring more of themselves. Do you do any mentoring outside of your? Yeah, well, I'm a coach. I'm a certified coach. And I do a lot of coaching and um, consulting, uh, both for teachers and just all different kinds of folks. So yes, thank you for asking that. <laughs> because I think this is good for a lot of people. You know, my husband and I were talking and you know, he's a big man, he's a successful man. And, and I always say to him, make sure you're taking a step back because you come with a presence already. You come with a, a command, a presence and, you know, women won't necessarily, we process things slower sometimes and we wait for pauses. And if there's not a pause and it's just, I think this can benefit for us that growing awareness of, who we are. It doesn't mean there's anything you have to apologize for, but just being aware of the different kind of styles and interactions and experiences people have. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, just because someone said something with a confident voice, you know, the group will agree to it. And then later you go back and you're like, actually, I don't, but I felt like, you know, when someone said it so confidently um, that it must be right. And this is a tendency. So the folks who are who are talking to that confidence maybe need to open up to being like a little bit more and not so sure. And then we also can recognize that that's a dynamic that happens in a room. And and how can we work, you know, and, and as teachers, how can we uh, make space for more different voices in the room? You know, I, I really, I've become more tuned to if I see someone being like spoken over or in any way, um, if those quieter ideas are dismissed, you know, trying to, to sense if someone has something to say and give them an opportunity to, to move forward and to speak up. We use group agreements in our classes, which is, a, you know, practice of sitting together and as a group coming to some agreements about how we want our interactions to be. 
in the class. So I think that also talking about it together before we start, you know, that, that um, puts um, not everything, but, you know, at least put some things verbally out there that we might be thinking about inside. Just by creating the space to do that is, is in and of itself is healing. Yeah. Because it, it invites it. Yeah. Just having, I mean, that's, just, that's an easy, not easy. I don't want to say easy because it's not so easy, but that's something that, you know, folks can learn more about and, and can add into their classes. Um, but you have to be really willing to hear, you know, you can't be coming in and like, okay, this, and I think this is how it's getting translated sometimes in classes, like, you know, where the teacher will say something like, you know, you can sit out if you don't want to do the pose or you can modify if you need to, but that doesn't make me feel like I want to do that because I still feel like, uh, I feel like I'm less than, right. I feel like, Oh, I, like I, you know, yeah, if I can't do it, I can modify or I have the option to sit out, you know, whereas in our classes, we would more give a lot of options. They would be mainly from a more physically uh, gentle version. And then, you know, yeah, if you want to get more fancy, you can add this thing on. So never kind of saying, or you can adapt the pose if that, you know, if it's not working, but more exploring different ways to, to feel different shapes in our bodies. You know, who does a great job with that. Apple fitness, you know, that's been my little pandemic project. I started taking up like running and doing doing these little apple fitness look there's my apple watch but every single thing that they do they have three people and they give you three options they'll have so and so over here and they'll be walking and this person will be you know sitting and and you could follow me and it doesn't they just and they call them options which is what you just called is options and i remember taking a lead primary with Eddie Stern. It was right before we did, I think our first podcast. And it was something that I noticed that he spoke in the classroom. And that was, he used the word options, not modifications. And I just thought that was brilliant. And it's a change of a word, but it, it really changes the meaning. Yeah. Words matter. Words matter. Words matter. Yeah. So this is really important. Actually, reminded me of something that I had wanted to say before and forgot, which is about um, that more isn't always better. I mean, we sort of touched on it that sometimes folks go back to an environment where they need their 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 boundaries and they you know they need those um, defenses to survive. But also, right? It's like it's if someone is not ready and they go too far, then that can be like a rubber band that can snap right back and you can lose so much ground. And, you know, there's this term, I, I didn't come up with it in the trauma space, like trauma informed space. That's like more isn't always better, you know? And I really abide by that, that, you know, a little bit slowly, like slower than, than you think, you know, just working slowly with folks and not always trying to dig in more. And sometimes it's okay for things to be like, like what you would think is just surface level, like just fun, you know, like you don't, you know, and as a yoga teacher, if you're not a therapist, you're not a therapist, you know? So, uh, you know, we don't train folks to go in deep and have breakthroughs with people. We train folks to create safe as possible spaces. That's it. You know, because when we, when the safest, when a space is safe, then we have more agency as an individual, right? When we're in danger, we we have not a lot of choice, right? The more we're safe, the more we're relaxed and the body feels safe, the more we can explore choices. We kind of said that before about, you know, I can think about what to do next. I have space. I have a calm. My body is calm and I can think about the future instead of immediate threat. Most many, many folks who have been through trauma have a reaction of feeling constantly like they're in, in threat. So they're not going to be able to think beyond just keeping this moment. But if as a trauma sensitive teacher, you can create a space that's safe as possible, 
maybe you can create the right atmosphere, the right space for folks to let a little bit of that go and open up into some more choice in their life, into some more agency in their life. Even if that's just the decision of, I prefer to have my palms up or my palms down, you know, um, finding little spaces for choice. That's, that's, I think where the power is. And it's not about going in and trying to get someone to have this, this big opening. You don't know what you're doing, right? Like I said, unless you're, you have a, a, a training in therapy, um, you know, most of us as yoga teachers, we're yoga teachers. You know, and um, uh, one of the things that I write about in in my book is about, um, which we don't do a good enough job with, is referring out. You can make yourself more valuable that way. Have some names of other teachers or, um, you know, practitioners in other spaces, you know, in other therapies, in teachers that lead groups, be able to refer out and know that you're a yoga teacher. You, you, you could do great things for your students. You can really help people, but we don't have to overpromise. We don't have to be everything. And there's a lot of value that we can give by having other resources. You know, my hairstylist, they, they, she recently went through a training that was being able to recognize trauma and how to refer out because, because most women, they see a lot of women and most women will divulge if they're in an abusive relationship. The first person they tell is their hairstylist, because there's this thing when you, when you're not looking at someone eye to eye, it's easier to talk so that they're looking in the mirror and the, the person's behind them. And so they're there in the chair for hours and you develop these relationships. And so recognizing that the stylists now are going through trainings on how to, what to do when that happens and, and how to, you know, how to refer out and, and, and all of that and how to even hold that relationship while you're there. And I just thought that was brilliant. I was like, wow. That, really, that, right? that really is. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Makes, a, makes a lot of sense. I'll, I'll share with you something I have never shared in a, public setting, but I quit Ashtanga three times over one pose and it was Supta Vajrasana. And in my twenties, I was in an abusive relationship. And every time I would get to that posture where if anyone's listening, your legs are crossed, you put your hands behind you, you cross at your arms and grab your feet. So you're essentially tied, bound And then someone sits on top of you and drops you backwards. Can you think of anything more traumatizing for someone who'd been in a, in a, in an abusive relationship than that? I, I knew when, when I would get to that pleasure, I knew what it was bringing up for me. I knew that why I knew why I knew what, um, and sometimes I wasn't ready. And so I would walk away from the practice or skip it all together And you've been mentioning just very simple things, very, very simple things, just allowing people to be where they are, not forcing, um, you know, just giving people the space and the time. And I will say, yeah, it was a little battle and going back and forth. And um, the body is brilliant and just being present and being able. I remember Megan would give me the assist. What a wonderful way to like have that assist, right? To have your daughter be the one. And then it wasn't as threatening or not grabbing your feet. Or I would find ways where it would be less, uh, it, w- it would trigger less of a response from me. And it, trusting yourself to do that and to work your way through. And it takes time. You know, and I'm grateful that I had my daughter practicing with me and not somebody, you know, I mean, because that was what was making me quit. I did not want somebody. um, I certainly didn't want a male teacher, which is what I had at the time, sitting on me and dropping me back. That was not going to happen. So I I needed to walk out of the practice space in order to do that. And over time, that that does it. It it does. There is something it didn't need to be even expressed in words. I knew what it was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I think. It just, 
what came up for me is karmasana and, and uh, sutta karmasana, which comes much earlier, you know, in primary, which I think a lot of folks overlook as, uh, as poses that can be really, really, um, you know, counterindicated for um, someone who's been through trauma. I think we talk a lot about heart openers, but we don't talk as much about those places where you're really bound, you're not able to move. Um, and then you have the addition of some of these Ashtanga assists where someone's then standing on you. Um, I've definitely seen some, some things in those postures. Um, and like you said, sometimes it's about having that right person with you. Um, you know, being in relationship can be so powerful and in a positive way. Um, like we need, we need each other. Um, we shouldn't be afraid of human contact either, which is the other way this sometimes goes, right? It's just like all this fear now. I don't want to touch. I don't want to um, trigger. And it's not about that. It's, you know, it's about being in a, a safe as possible, open, equal um, as possible um, relationship and really listening, listening to ourselves, uh, listening, listening to each other. She just said it all right there. It's true, right? It is. It's so much about that relationship and we heal through relationship. And it always, on the other hand, it always worries me that we're, we're getting this to be so sterile and uh, systematized, you know, to protect people. Right. But then also we take away that very special relationship that is so very healing as long as like you said we're coming to it as equals and we listen because we're teachers are going to make mistakes right right i mean we're we're going to say we're going to say things or do things that aren't but if you have that openness and that relationship then you can learn from students and they can and you can listen and actually just by listening to a student is healing just by them being able to say that didn't feel right or that didn't land right. And for a teacher to receive that and be present with it and respond to it, that is healing, right? That is incredibly healing to be heard is one is so healing. And this is where we can do some more of that self-work of not thinking it's about us and not being so like on the defensive, right? Like if, if a student comes to us and says like, that's not working for me, or this is bothering me. Um, how can we, instead of closing and how can we use, you know, we, we talk about being advanced practitioners. This is the advanced practice, right? It's like, how can we get to that in ourselves that we've been practicing long enough to know ourselves, right? To feel when we start to close and, and we start to feel a little defensive and instead to say, Oh, to open, Oh, this is a moment for me to learn. Um, and, and to receive and, um, to be curious and okay, what can we do here? Like, how does this feel? And this is when you can get creative, you know, if you constrict and close up and get defensive and get stuck in system stuff and tradition stuff and our own ego stuff of, I know best, you know, then we lose this opportunity to open and, and to learn. Um, and if we do, we, you know, like you said, we, we make mistakes. We, we will make mistakes. Um, we all will make mistakes because we're human. Um, and I think that it's about what we do with that, that moment as well, you know, and, and again, I'm definitely in process always with this. It's really hard. Um, I don't know if it's the New Yorker, the perfectionist way that I was kind of raised and socialized, you know, to just want to fix it and want to get it right. And, um, and it, it's, there's a lot of things there in this, this society that we're in. And I feel myself getting emotional just talking about this part of things, but um, it's been a journey and I'm uh, in process of really working on that of, um, you know, when I make a mistake of um, just trying to, to repair, right. To own it, um, not to excuse it and to, uh, to see how I can, repair and be in relationship and do better and grow for the next time. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's coming back to that beginner mindset, which I think is something we 
maybe mention at the beginning, <laughs> but it comes back to that as, uh, you know, 20 years of teaching and sometimes I feel like it's day one, you know, and, uh, and I think that's a good thing is, um, is to always be in that, that space of learning. It definitely keeps it more interesting. Well, Laura, I have to tell you, you can take the girl out of New York City, but I'm not sure you can take the city life out of her. You, during this pandemic, you've not run, you haven't just done one huge fundraiser, huge. I mean, what what you put together to benefit those in India, like I I know that people participated in that 24-hour yoga-thon and it went off without a hitch. But what people didn't realize is how much work you put in on the backside of it, behind it. Like everybody always sees like the front part, like all the teachers teaching and there, and you know, and it's great. The work that goes in behind it is like, that is extraordinary energy. You should get a pass for the rest of the like time, but no, no, you're doing another one. <laughs> Uh, well, I have to give props to my co-producer on the um, the fundraiser for India, Harmony. Harmony yes. together, and it was great to be in work with her. We were great friendship, and yeah, that was the inspiration again. Like for okay, how can we bring it back home? And I've always been a little shy to reach out to the Ashtanga Yoga community for support with my nonprofit. And, but I, I finally felt it was, it was and is the time. Um, and after seeing the success of that fundraiser and how much we raised for India, I thought, you know, let me ask uh, these great teachers um, if they would help to raise some much, much needed uh, funds for the nonprofit three and a half acres yoga that I started back in 2015, um, fundraising has been very, very challenging um, since the pandemic. <laughs> we used to do this big event once a year, and um, you know, we shut down in New York two weeks before we were supposed to do our big fundraiser. For um, you know, that usually takes us through the year. So that was 2020, and we haven't done any live in-person events um, since then. Folks are a little burnt out of like an online fundraiser thing, and um, we just really need the the yoga community to come together to help us to just raise the necessary um, like budget, you know, for the next, for the next even couple months, just help keep our programs going. As I said, there's been more need than ever. Um, especially now, especially yeah, now. There really is, there really is a lot of trauma still going on. Um, even oh, more. Laura, I think it's going to be going on for a while. Like, I don't even think we know the long-term effects. I mean, it makes me feel so good to know that you're going out there and that these programs are available in conjunction with other mental health programs, because I don't think we, we even know. No, we don't. And, you know, imagine we have so many resources and so many you know, <laughs> so many things we could fall back on during this time. And again, it's just thinking about not everyone has had that. And for some folks, just having a moment to breathe, to learn some tools for regulating their nervous system, being able to cope, being able to think, being able to have a little bit of quiet. Um, it's really critical. I mean, like you said, there's testimonial after testimonial um, from, from folks that we're working with who, I mean, some people have been so isolated and just coming to the online classes is like, they just look forward to seeing some people that they know. A lot of the, you know, the programs that we partner with, they were shut down and we just found ways to get everyone on, um, on a Zoom. They're used to coming to a community center together and the community center was shut down. And so um, having us say, no, we're still going to do this. We're going to find a way to get as many folks on as we can. Sometimes we had to record and send recorded classes. Um, it's just been, we never stopped. We never stopped since, since, uh, you know, 2020, we always knew that we had to keep going. Um, and yeah. And, uh, we just need some help. 
So how can we help? Like, talk to me about what, I mean, I know that you're putting the fundraiser together in December. So tell me a little about, about this fundraiser, because we're going to air this right in the beginning. We're going to, we're going and so yeah. how, how do people participate and how yeah. can they help? So it's, um, I decided to use a kind of a similar model. It's not 24 hours, but instead it's the month of December. All these great teachers have signed on to donate, not just classes, but often special, really specialized workshops. Um, David Swenson is going to do a pranayama class, but also with a talk. Cause I felt like, you know, people want to hear what he has to say is so many interesting stories. Um, Eddie Stern and I are opening it on Thursday night, December 2nd. Um, he's going to lead a puja. I'm going to also bring on the opening night um, some different folks from the organization, some teachers, maybe some students that we've impacted. So um, there'll be someone from the Three and a Half Acres um, nonprofit, a representative at each one of the classes, not always me, but you'll get to see different members of our board and of our team. Um, but they are, I think we're up to like, because people keep donating classes, which is awesome. I think we're, we're probably up to about 20 classes and they're just all the zoom links are available to you by making just one donation. So we have the Eventbrite link. You can donate anything. So and you're going to get access to a whole month of special workshops. Any donation gets you access to all the classes. Um, uh, David and, and Yelena just came on. People, like I said, are coming on like like every day. So that's really, really exciting. Harmony is giving class. Um, we have some yoga philosophy. It sounds like a lot of fun. And it sounds like an amazing thing to do just selfishly. But... What were, what will these funds provide? What's coming in? What is this going to allow you to be able to do or other people be able to receive? Our programs serve trauma survivors in five categories. Those are domestic abuse survivors, folks in recovery, um, folks who are dealing with housing or food insecurity, folks dealing with justice issues like immigration, refugees, and um, also the LGBTQ plus community, especially homeless youth. We are spread thin. Um, we have programs now all over New York City um, and also the DC areas. And we are getting asked to increase programming regularly. So just to send our teachers there, have mats, have um, you know, functioning programs. People think it's, um, you know, it's just, oh, you send the teacher. Well, it's not quite that simple, especially because these are trauma sensitive settings. The teachers do need to be trained. Also, we, we have to send two teachers into every location. That's really, really important. First of all, we're teaching some folks are standing, some are on the floor, some are in a chair when they're practicing different levels. Um, also, you need to be using all five senses when you're teaching. People learn different ways. So you have to be demoing, sometimes talking. Um, so you really need two teachers. You also uh, don't want to have any abandonment. So if one teacher can't make it or has to leave, you want to make sure these are really sustainable programs where you're not just like, you know, teachers get sick, teachers call out. We always make sure that we have that second teacher. And that's why you have an organization that's really taking care of that and those relationships. We're also working with our partners. So we're in contact with the, you know, if it's a food bank, we're in contact with their programs director and we're, we're, talking about what the needs are. They see those folks every day. We only come in once a week. So we're working very, very closely to make sure that we're meeting the needs there, not just coming in with our own ideas of um, what's needed. So that takes, um, you know, that takes an organization um, and that takes some funding. So I just wanted folks to see kind of the picture. It's, it's not just as simple as, oh, a teacher comes and they, they teach a class. No, it's never that simple, but I'm glad because, it, but like you said, that would be traumatizing. You, if you don't have the sustainability and the training and um, the, the power, the person power behind it, yes. it, then you're doing more harm. You can do harm. Yeah. You, you have to have all of those things in place. And, and I just truly believe, and that's why I'm so glad you're here today. And I really want to encourage people to support because 
I can't even imagine the effects that especially certain populations have had. I mean, like you said, a lot of us have access um, to groups, but people have lost church organizations. I mean, we think about the yoga studios. They've lost every support system in their lives during perhaps the most traumatic time of our lives. So we have the least access and the most trauma. And I don't think we even know um, the need that is there, that is present now and how long that will go on. I feel like this is like a turning point. Remember when we learned that it wasn't shell shock, it was post-traumatic stress disorder. Like I feel like this is one of those moments in time where this is not just adjusting or we need groups like you to go in and to work with the system. I'm so glad you're out there doing it. I'm so glad that you have the energy that you have. Where can people give? How can they give? Yeah, so you can go onto threeandahalfacres.org um, or threeandahalfacresyoga on Instagram, and you'll see in our in all our links um, pop up. There's a link to donate if you can't attend, or there's a link to the Eventbrite. It's a full month of events. So your donation gets you into a whole month of workshops, of special classes, of courses, of talks. Um, so give what you can, give generously, tell your friends. Um, you know, it's the month of December. We can all use, um, you know, a little yoga, coming together, having some fun on our mats, learning together, getting back in the you know, in good spirits this time of year, there's a lot of stress for everyone. So I think, like you said, it's a nice thing to get for yourself um, anyway. And when you uh, make that donation, you get all those classes and you give to a to a great cause. So, um, and even if uh, folks aren't in Ashtanga, there's, there's some other classes. Um, they're not just all like, you know, doing lead, lead classes. So I think they'll be very, very interesting if you want to expand your knowledge too. Um, there's yoga philosophy and pranayama and things out, outside of just physical asana. So um, a lot, a lot there. Thank you so much, Laura. So appreciate all of this time. This is amazing. I feel like I made it now that I, that I made it on the podcast. I really do. Oh, geez. <laughs> I do. I really do. I'm like, yay! <laughs> Thanks for listening. And don't forget to register for the Ashtanga fundraiser for trauma relief starting at the beginning of December. Visit our show notes from today's episode or go to threeandahalfacres.org where you can also read about all the incredible work Lara and the organization does as well as upcoming trauma sensitivity teacher trainings. The Ashtanga Dispatch podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by Pegmall Queen, along with me, Megan Powell. Music is by Mark Pilly.